volume two chapter fifteen of the day will come by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter fifteen one little flash of summer light one brief and passionate dream lord cheriton sent his valet and his portmanteau to victoria street in a cab and walked to hercules buildings it was a short distance from the terminus and the movement was a relief to his troubled brain he was strangely agitated in approaching the girl whom he had known only as mercy porter who had lived to twenty-seven years of age almost as a stranger to him whom he had looked upon in her girlhood with a keen and painful interest but an interest which he had never betrayed by one outward sign it was her mother's perversity and wrong-headedness he told himself which had necessitated this complete estrangement had she consented to bring up her daughter anywhere else he might have acted in some wise as a father to her but she had chosen to plant the girl there at his gates in the sight of his wife and her child and he was thus constrained to ignore the tie to repress every token of interest every sign of emotion to act his lifelong lie and play his part of benefactor and patron to the end and now he had reason to believe that mercy had discovered the secret of her birth her contemptuous refusal of his bounty could proceed he thought from no other cause she knew that he was her father and she would accept no boon from a father who had denied her his name and his love she resented her mother's wrongs as well as her own his heart sank at the thought of standing before her his daughter and his judge the house in hercules buildings was decent and clean-looking the woman who opened the door told him that miss gray was at home and directed him to the second floor back is she alone he asked has there been no one with her this morning no sir she don't have anybody come to see her once in six months except miss newton lady cheriton's conjecture was not the inspiration he had thought mrs porter had not made her way here what if she had doubled back after starting in the train for london got out at the first station and gone to the priory to realize that ghastly apprehension of theodore dalbrook's and to follow up her scheme of vengeance by some new crime once admit that she was mad and there was no limit to the evil she might attempt and do his only comfort was in the idea that juanita's cousin was there on the alert to guard her from every possible attack he knocked at the door of the back room on the second floor landing and it was opened by the faded woman he had seen last in her fresh young beauty a fair bright face at a rustic casement framed in verdure the face was sadly aged since he had looked upon it and if it was beautiful still it was with the beauty of outline and expression rather than of youthful freshness and colouring the grave sad eyes were lifted to his face as mercy made way for him to enter she placed a chair for him and stood a little way off waiting for him to speak he looked at the small room with infinite sadness her neatness and ingenuity had made the best of the poorest means and the shabby little room had as fresh and gay an air as if it had been the room in an alpine chalet or a farmhouse in normandy the poor little pallet bed was hidden by white dimity curtains the washstand was screened by a drapery of the same white dimity daintily arranged with bright ribbon bows there was a shelf of neatly bound books above the mantelpiece and there were bits of japanese china here and there giving a touch of brilliant colour to the cheap white paper on the walls and the white draperies the room had been furnished by mercy herself the chairs were of wicker-work cushioned and decorated by mercy's clever hands there was a pine chest of drawers with a japanese looking-glass hanging above it and there was a quaint little japan table of bright vermilion at the side of mercy's armchair 
the poor little second-floor bedroom with its one window and most unlovely outlook was mercy's only source of pride she had pinched herself to buy those inexpensive chairs and the luxury of the japanese class the lacquered tea-tray with its satsuma cups and saucers and the turquoise and absinthe tinted vases all those trifling details which made her room so different from the rooms of most work-girls she had stained and waxed the old deal boards with her own hands and it was her own labour that kept the floor polished and dustless and the window-panes bright and clear the natural instinct of a lady showed itself in that love of fair surroundings i hope to find your mother with you said lord cheriton why i received your telegram and could not understand what it meant is there anything wrong with my mother she left her home early this morning suddenly no one knows why or wherefore i am intensely anxious to find her but why she has been able to take care of herself very well for the last twenty years you have not been particularly interested in her in all that time why should you be anxious to-day because i have reason to think that all is not well with her that her mind is not quite right and i am full of fear lest she should do something rash god help her sighed mercy the pale face growing just a shade whiter if you had seen much of her in the years that are gone your fears would not have come so late in the day what do you mean i mean that her mind has been unsettled ever since i was old enough to observe and to understand her i was little more than a child when i found out that she had brooded upon one great sorrow until all her thoughts were warped all charity and kindly feeling were dead in her dead or frozen into a dreadful numbness a torpor of the soul she never really loved me me her only child who tried very hard to win her love god knows how i loved her having no one else to love there was always a barrier between us the barrier of some bitter memory i could never get near her heart he did not answer for some minutes but stood up looking out of the window at the dreary prospect of slated roof and smoke-blackened chimney-pot prospect in which a few red tiles or an old gable-end were as a glimpse of beauty amidst the all-pervading greyness and cruel monotony of form and hue he felt a constraint upon him such as he had never felt in all his life before felt tongue-tied helpless paralyzed by a deep sense of shame and self-humiliation before this unacknowledged daughter who under happier circumstances might have looked up to him and honoured him as the first among men in this bitter hour the name that he had won for himself in the world the fortune which his talent had earned for him were as dust and ashes the bitter ashes beneath the dazzling brightness of the dead sea-fruit why do you stop in this back room mercy he asked abruptly why do you condemn yourself to look out upon chimney-pots and blackened roofs when you have all the world to choose from if you like why in pity's name did you refuse my offer of an income because i will take nothing from you nothing 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 her lips closed in a rigid line after that reiterated word her eyes looked straight before her cold calm resolute why are you so hard upon me why you ask me why you who let me live at your gates in meek dependence on your bounty nameless fatherless living a life of miserable monotony with a heart-broken woman in whose frozen breast even maternal love was dead you who patted me on the head once in half a year and patronized me and condescended to me as if i were of another race and of a different clay you my father you who could be content to let me grow from a child to a woman and never once let your heart go out to me and never once be moved to clasp me in your arms and confess the tie between us 
you who saw me come to your fine house and go away and often pretended not to see me or passed me with a side glance and a little motion of your hand as if i were a dog that ran by you in the street you my father you whose friend saw me so friendless and alone that he could lie to me with impunity knowing there was no one in this world to take my part or to call him to account for his lies had you been different my fate might have been different he was a villain mercy god knows i have suffered enough on that score i would have called him to account i would have punished him but i had to think of my wife i dared not act there was a monster in my path before which the boldest man sometimes turns coward publicity who was it told you mercy when was it that you discovered my secret he told me taunted me with my mother's story he had guessed it i think but though he had no proofs to give me instinct told me that it was true my mother's life and character had always been a mystery to me i understood both by the light of that revelation he told you the truth mercy yes all my life as regards you was a solemn sham it was your mother's determination to live at cheriton and nowhere else which made me a stranger to my own child had your home been elsewhere far from my wife and her surroundings i might have acted in some wise a father's part i might have acknowledged our relationship i might have seen you from time to time in the freedom of paternal intercourse i could have interested myself in your education watched over your welfare as it was i had to play my difficult part as best i might you would have had to reckon with my mother's broken heart wherever she had lived answered mercy do you think i could have ever valued your fatherly interest knowing the measure of her wrong in my ignorance i looked up to you as our benefactor you cheated me of my gratitude and respect you who were the cause of all our sorrows i saw my mother's mind growing more and more embittered as the years went by my youth was spent with a woman whose lips had forgotten how to smile with a mother who never spoke a motherly word or kissed her child with a motherly kiss and then when love came or that which seemed love can you wonder that i was weak and helpless in the hour of temptation i who had never known what tenderness meant before i heard his voice before his lips touched mine the only happiness i ever knew upon this earth was my happiness with him it was short enough god knows but it was something it was my only sunshine the only year in all my life in which the world seemed beautiful and life worth living yes it was at least a dream of loving and being loved but it was followed by a bitter waking he was a scoundrel mercy you were not his first victim but his youth was past and i believed in his reform i should not have asked him to my wife's house had i not so believed when i heard that he had tempted you away from your mother i was in despair i would have made any sacrifice to save you except the one sacrifice of facing a hideous scandal except the sacrifice of my social position and my wife's happiness had you alone been in question i might have taken a bolder and more generous course but you are right when you say i had to reckon with your mother i might have confessed the existence of my daughter might have secured my wife's kindness and sympathy for that daughter but how could i say to her the woman who lives beside your gate is the woman who ought to have been my wife and who for ten years was to me as a wife and relied upon my promise that no other woman upon earth should ever occupy that place i was fettered mercy caught in the toils powerless to act a manly part i did what i could i tried to trace you and tremaine failed and never knew what had become of him till i read of his death in afghanistan 
he was a married man when he crossed your path separated from his wife who had not used him over well it was the knowledge of his domestic troubles that inclined me to hold out the hand of friendship to him at that time he behaved infamously to you i fear my poor girl he only did what most men do i suppose under the same circumstances he only acted as you acted to my mother he grew tired of me only his weariness came in less than ten years in less than two he took me roaming all over the world in his yacht those days and nights at sea or lying off some white city gleaming against a background of olive-clad hills were like one long dream of beauty sometimes we lived on shore for a little while in some obscure fishing village where there was no one from england to ask who we were we spent one long winter coasting about between algiers and tunis i could hardly believe that it was winter in that world of purple sea and sky and almost perpetual sunshine we spent half a year among the greek islands we stayed at constantinople and sailed from there to naples it was at naples i caught a fever and lay ill on board the yacht it was a tedious illness a long night of darkness and delirium when i recovered colonel tremaine was gone he had left the yacht on the first day of my unconsciousness leaving me in charge of a sister of mercy and three sailors he had sold the yacht which was to pass into the new owner's possession as soon as i was strong enough to go on shore he left me a letter telling me that he had deposited fifty pounds for me at the english bankers where he had been in the habit of cashing cheques i had been at the bank with him on more than one occasion he advised me to stay in the south and get a situation as governess in an italian family he was obliged to go back to england on account of monetary difficulties but he hoped to be able to meet me later he did not even take the trouble to tell me where a letter would find him he had abandoned me at the beginning of a dangerous illness left me to live or die friendless in a foreign land End of chapter fifteen